Five Pairs New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter, and I am so pumped today to be bringing you a special podcast. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Marcus Nataro, the winemaker of Stag's Leap, and we're going to talk all about a really, really incredible event that happened a while ago now, but one that a lot of listeners may be very familiar with. I'm not going to talk about that event, but we're also going to talk about Stag's Leap as a whole, what's going on in Napa. Uh, it's harvest right now, so Marcus is going to give us a bit of an update. Um, so without further ado, Marcus, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's great to be here, Adam. So, you know, but, but, you know, I don't want to keep people guessing for too long, so let's jump right into it, right? So you are the winemaker at Stag's Leap, and while I think many people who listen are very familiar with Stag's Leap, they may not be familiar with what is one of the things that made Stag's Leap super famous in the first place, which is a event that happened in the 70s called the Judgment of Paris. Um, you know, I was hoping that you could give us the background. I know for people who also listen to Wine 101 at Vine Pair, there's a whole episode about the Judgment of Paris that you can go back and listen to if you want the full breakdown. But Marcus, you know, can you explain, you know, to people who are listening right now what that event was and why it is so important in the history of the winery where you now make the wine? You bet. Well, it's obviously it's an important part of our history. It's also a huge part of the history of the Napa Valley. And this tasting happened in uh, 1976. And if you kind of transport yourself back there into the 70s and into the Napa Valley, it certainly wasn't, you know, like what you see today, where it's kind of like this, you know, winery Disneyland. You know, there was things happening in Napa Valley. It was still uh, kind of recovering from that great American idea called Prohibition from the 20s that had kind of like wiped out the industry. But things were happening. You know, there were some new wineries. There was some new energy, some new excitement. Um, but there were still, uh, I mean, to put it in perspective, prunes were more valuable than Cabernet Sauvignon at this time. But anyway, uh, you know, our winery uh, was founded uh, in 1970. And um, on one of our first vintages, um, it, well, our first vintage was produced in 1972. But it's the 73 that really put us on the map. And basically, if you go over to Paris, France, there's a gentleman named Stephen Spurrier, who together with his partner, Patricia Gallagher, uh, they had a wine shop in Paris. And they noticed that a bunch of Americans and British folks were visiting their wine shop. They had been uh, over to Napa Valley, uh, had tasted some of our wines, had kind of seen some of this energy, you know, some of this excitement. And they thought that they could sell these wines to these folks that were visiting their wine shop. But, of course, at this point in time, you know, particularly for quality wine, I mean, there was only one place, right? There was France, you know, Burgundy for right. Chardonnay and Bordeaux for Cabernet Sauvignon. So it was completely an unknown uh, place. So they decided to organize a blind tasting. Uh, they brought in about 20 French judges and basically what Mr. Spurrier said is, hey, you know, we want to come to the wine shop for a tasting of some of these wines from the New World, uh, from Napa Valley. And then once the judges arrived, uh, he thought it'd be a little bit more fun to throw in some of the of the finest wines of Burgundy and Bordeaux and do the tasting blind. Uh, the judges all agreed. And so, of course, first uh, they tasted through the uh, Burgundies, uh, tasted them all blind. And when the results were revealed, it was the 1973 uh, Chateau Montalena Chardonnay that had won in the Burgundy category. And then when they went to the Bordeaux category, it was the Stag's Leap Wine Cellars 1973 SLV or Stag's Leap Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon 
that had won in the uh, Bordeaux category. So oh, wow. um, there was only one, uh, Mr. Spurrier, you know, he'd invited a bunch of media uh, to right. cover this event. And basically nobody showed. And so at the last minute, uh, he made a call uh, over to Time Magazine, uh, who sent a man named George Tabor uh, over to cover this event. And Mr. Tabor, he knew what the wines were. He knew what all the background stuff was going on. And he wrote this little article called The Judgment of Paris that appeared on page like 56 of Time Magazine. And it was that little article article that got picked up by news organizations around the world as this great American victory over what the French were most known for. It was kind of like this going viral, I guess, type moment uh, for the 70s, to put it in perspective. And for, vit- <laughs> for, for vintners and, you know, for growers, you know, here in the Napa Valley, I mean, it really, you know, validated what what they thought. You know, we thought that we could produce world-class wines here. And the results of the Paris tasting definitely showed that, yes, the Napa Valley is a special place and it's capable of producing world-class Chardonnay and world-class Cabernet Sauvignon. And so... What did that do for Stagsley specifically? I mean, obviously, you know, it, it put Napa on the map, but I mean, can you just look at the trajectory of the winery you now, you know, run and say like, man, it just, it was a rocket ship. I mean, I feel like almost anyone who, you know, at all starts to get into wine, you know, learns the name of, learns the name Stagsley, right? You're, it's sort of like a, one of the great, you know, you're one of the first growths of, the U.S. I mean, I'm, I'm to be to be very honest, right? I think that that's that's very fair to say. It's like you're you're one of the most famous wineries in the country. Um, what did that do to the company, right? How, how did that? How did everyone react to that? And you know, how do you approach that today in your winemaking? Understanding that, like, you know, you are now one of these wineries that people are like, man, this was the this was the winery that put us on the map. Well, I mean, let me put a you know a couple things for sure. It, remember, this event was a very innocent event. Um, you know, in fact, uh, once the results were revealed, um, uh, they made a phone call over to, uh, Warren's wife. Warren was on business at the time right. to Bar- Barbara Bernarski. And when she was told that they had won a tasting in Paris, her response was, Oh, that's very nice. And hung up the phone <laughs> and then called to Warren who was on business back in Chicago. And she said, you know, Warren, we just won this tasting in Paris. And his response was, oh, that's very nice, and hung up the phone. And it wasn't for a few days later when he actually saw what the other wines that were in the tasting that they had beaten and realized the magnification of this event. And so he actually tried to buy back all of the 1973 SLV, just knowing the sheer ramifications of this event. But certainly, you know, to have your first, one of your first vintages, um, you know, have such a quality statement. And that really is what the winery has been about. Um, after the, the Paris wine, um, you know, what's interesting is everybody wanted to work at Sagsley Wine Cellars. You know, everybody wanted to know, like, what was the secret? You know, what was it that Warren was doing where he was able to produce this wine uh, that beat some of the best wines in the world? But, you know, the reality is that the place here is so special. And whether it's SLV, Stagsley Vineyard, or the Fay Vineyard, um, which is right next door, which we also produce in a state wine. You know, our area here in Stagsley produces wonderful wines that have incredible potential for ageability. 
They have a real personality. And that is really what Stag's Leap Wine Cellars has always been about, to produce not only top quality wines, but wines that are really expressive uh, of our area and the individual personalities of the vineyards. That's amazing. So when did you come to Stag's Leap? My first vintage uh, start to finish was in uh, 2013. Okay. And when you came, you know, did you sort of understand at the time the gravitas of the place, you know, the, sort of the importance of it in American wine history? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, that when I, my first trip uh, to the Napa Valley, uh, I think I was right at the end of studying in college. I kind of fell in love yeah. with wine in school. And this winery was one of the first wineries that I actually ever visited as a uh, as a young you know uh, wine connoisseur, so you know for sure, and the winery has such a pedigree, and it's as right. a winemaker today, it's pretty awesome. You know, we're traveling around, or in times when you know we are traveling around more and uh, doing winemaker dinners, and everybody's got a story, you know, of a time that they visited, or they have a vintage in their cellar that they're saving for a special occasion. So, you know, to make the wines here today, it's both very very humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a, a real honor. So speaking of the wine specifically, you know, obviously a lot in the world has changed since 1976. A lot in Napa has changed. How have the wines at Stag's Leap changed? Um, you know, if someone were to to drink a bottle of the current vintage of Stag's Leap, how much of what was happening in 1976 could they still find in that bottle? How much of what was happening in 1976 has informed what's inside that bottle? Like, could you sort of, you know, take the listeners through sort of what you would experience and and what a stag's what what defines a stag's leap wine if that makes sense sure well let's let's start with that you know because again the the wines come from the area and the stag's leap district as a whole mm-hmm. you know is a very small uh sub appellation you know we're about five miles north of napa on the silverado trail and actually back when um the first cabernet was planted here in 1961 by a man named nathan fay and at that time, our area was actually thought to be too cold for Cabernet Sauvignon. So, or, or red oh, varieties, wow. red varieties for that matter. You know, the, the city of Yontville and north, that was like red grapes, right? And then south of Yontville was, was white grapes because, you know, the way the weather works here, you know, on a typical, uh, typical summer day, you know, we wake up and, you know, the valley is, you know, full of fog or, or low clouds, which burn off from the north. So up in Calistoga to the south, back out into our air conditioner there, that being San Pablo Bay, then, mm-hmm. you know, it heats up. And then in the early afternoon, the sea breezes turn back on coming up San Pablo Bay from the south up funneling through the Napa Valley to the north. So depending on where you are north to south, you know, you're going to have different levels of fog or clouds and, and, and different time as to when that kind of air conditioner comes back on. So that's why. Back in the 60s, you know, again, our area was thought to be uh, too cold. You know, luckily, Mr. Fay, you know, took a chance and planted Cabernet Sauvignon here anyway. And later, when we actually were able to do, you know, some real measurements, you know, our area is a little bowl. You know, we're surrounded by these rocky outcroppings called mm-hmm. the Stag's Leap Palisades, uh, which were named actually after a particularly large rock formation right above the winery. It's this big, like, V-cut, Right. And back when the uh, the native Wapo tribe was living and hunting in our valley, they used to chase the deer uh, up into these rocks. And there's a legend that a particularly large stag made it to one part of this V-cut 
and then leapt this incredible distance to the other side in order to escape. So that's how our area then has been historically known as Stag's Leap. Um, and those palisades, though, they kind of like radiate the heat. So once the sun does come out here, uh, temperatures and Stag's Leap, uh, they heat right up. We get fairly warm. But because of our southerly location, the sea breezes hit us around 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That cools us back off. And the fog does sit here. It kind of lingers till about like 9, 9.30 in the morning. So we have both this kind of nice warm afternoons. And that warmth is what you, Cabernet Sauvignon needs to get out those nice ripe flavors, those nice complexities, ripe tannins. But that extended cooling period really preserves a lot of the natural acidity and what I think combined gives our wines this, what I call soft power. So they're wines that are wonderfully okay. complex. They're rich wines, but they don't tend to be heavy. Uh, they don't tend to be too, uh, too over the top. So that's kind of what and I find that kind of style in our neighbor's wines as well. That would be what I would call the stag's leap uh, to stag's leap style. That makes sense. So, so basically, so sort of they're powerful, but they have some acidity. They're approachable. That's really interesting. And I, you know, I, I never really thought about that in terms of the, the description of, of the style of, of that entire district. That's really interesting. You bet. Now going further into our wine send, you know, you know, um, I, what's really interesting and what is obviously very, very cool um, to be at a winery that has, you know, 50 years of history is, you know, we have a wine library, right? Where we have some of the historical vintages and, as the current winemaker, I think it's really important for me to understand history and to understand how the wines have evolved and to understand the individual personalities of our vineyards. So SLV, Stag's Leap Vineyard, you know, our first vineyard, for example, to taste the wines from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and today. Sure, the wines, every vintage is a little bit different, but what I find in the wine is this signature personality that to me is SLV. And what it is, it's this dusty cocoa powder, this like graphite, this dark fruit character, this violet character. And it's it's a richer wine, uh, not over the top, as I said, but it has a, has a backbone, it has a beautiful structure. And you see that in the older wines. And that is what I try to get out of the grapes in today's wines. So for sure, um, things have changed through history. I mean, the vineyards themselves, you know, a lot of the vineyards here in the Napa Valley needed to be replanted, let's say, in the mid-80s, early 90s due to uh, phylloxera. And so um, we do, you know, so obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that thing. <laughs> so the vineyards are different. You know, they're different rootstocks for the most part, different spacings, different clones. Um, you know, you, every time when you replant or you do something, you want to make it better, right? Uh, you take from what you've learned and you, when you have a replanting, uh, you take what's, what's worked and then you try to make it better and try to make the vineyard better. And the same thing with the wine making, you know, uh, do we make the wines today the same as they were made in the seventies? Uh, no, um, we have the same goal, the same goal, which is to make the best damn quality wine I can. That is expressive and brings out those personalities that I see in these vineyards. But for sure, you know, equipment is different. Um, winemaking techniques are different. Um, barrel aging is different. Um, it's all constantly evolving. You can't, as a winemaker or as a viticulturist, you know, just kind of sit back and, and just do the same thing every time. I mean, our goal is to make the best wines I can for the vintage. And every vintage is different. So we don't necessarily do the same thing uh, every year uh, as well. And, 
I know what was inspiring for me uh, coming into a historic winery like this actually was as I would bring in some new things. Um, you know, Warren Fernarski, our, our founder, um, he's still, he's a grower for us. He grows Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon. He lives on the property. And it was really great to see his curiosity and excitement when I would bring something new. And that to me right. is like when this winery was founded, this was this place was that. This was that something new. This was the innovator. This was the new thing in Napa Valley. And so it is okay to, to innovate. It is okay to try new things as long as I'm keep respecting the characters and the qualities of the vineyards and, and again, be focused on producing the best quality wine I can. It's amazing. So how many wines does Stag's Lake produce? Well, what you'll see uh, out in the marketplace, we have our three uh, estate wines. So we okay. have a single vineyard from SLV, a single vineyard uh, from the Fay Vineyard. And then our top wine is a blend of the best of the best of the two. That's called Cash 23. And then we okay. also have three uh, Napa Valley wines. Uh, we make a Sauvignon Blanc uh, that we call Aveda. We make a Napa Valley Chardonnay, which we call Caria. And then our most popular wine is our Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, which we call Artemis. So those okay. are the six wines that you'll see out in the marketplace. Obviously, uh, here at the winery, we have a very active wine club uh, that I produce some other uh, wines for them as well. Right. So some, some special wines that you can only get if you actually join. <laughs> exactly. Or, or when you stop by the winery here. Right. Exactly. So clear one thing up for me, which is uh, we talked a little before we started recording. You know, I get this question a lot. So. You're not the only winery named Stag's Leap. That's uh, there's another one too, and people get confused. And you both have an, an apostrophe in your name, but one in one location, one in the other. So, can you tell me why that is? And can you tell me how listeners can ensure that they're actually what they should look for to ensure that they're actually buying the Stag's Leap that won the Judgment of Paris, you know, the winery we're talking about, the winery founded by Warren Warnowski. How do you ensure that it's, it's that winery, not the other Stag's Leap? Yes, this is very confusing. It's been confusing since for 50 years. So <laughs> basically, uh, you know, both wineries uh, were founded at, in the same, at the same time as a wine, grape wine producing winery. I actually have to get a, a bond in order to do this. And both tried to capture this name, you know, of Stag's Leap. Um, the other winery, um, so completely different ownership, completely different founding. They actually, they were more excited about Petite Syrah, let's say, than Cabernet Sauvignon. But anyway, in good American fashion, uh, this of course resulted in about a 10 year, you know, million dollar kind of legal, <laughs> legal, <laughs> legal bout. And basically the solution was that, you know, really no one winery can like lay claim to a, a place like that. And so you guys, uh, Wernarski's Winery, are you were Stag's Leap wine sellers with the apostrophe before the S. And you guys are Stag's, the other Stag's Leap, are Stag's Leap Winery with the apostrophe after the S. So this, of course, has resulted in another 40 years of confusion, <laughs> particularly yes. for, for uh, consumers. Um, but completely different ownership, um, completely different wine. The labels, our deer is like standing still. Their deer is kind of like leaping away. Um, and again, it's, uh, you know, they're founded on, on, they make very nice petite syrah. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I've been told how good our petite syrah is, you That's know, <laughs> and for their winemaker, their winemaker as well, he's, he's actually a, he's actually a friend. 
And uh, I mean, they, they also get told all the time about Cash 23 and Artemis. And frankly, that's the reason why on our Napa Valley wines, why they do have a name, uh, Artemis or Caria uh, or Aveda. Right. So that on a, when you're at a restaurant and at a wine list, you know, you know my, the restaurateur may only have so much space. And to write out Stags Leap Wine Cellars, Napa Valley, Cabernet Sauvignon. So if they put even Stags Leap Wine Cellars, Artemis, you know, people really recognize that. And when we're doing tastings, it's such a, it's very, very recognizable, I think, for the consumers and helps to, uh, helps to get, get, helps to keep you straight and make sure you're getting it from the right one. And so are, are the, are the three Napa wines the wines, uh, that people will most easily find sort of out in the market? Yes. Yep. Aveda, Caria, and Artemis. Okay, cool. And then sort of the SLV, uh, you know, Cast 23, those are, you can find them probably at the, the finer restaurants, you know, higher exactly. shops, things like that. Exactly. Cool. Well, Marcus, this has been really interesting to talk to you about, you know, Stag's Leap, uh, the Judgment of Paris, you know, the wine as a whole and the region. I, I have to be honest with you, I actually didn't know that it was actually named for a stag jumping over a, a rock outcropping. Um, I just always thought it was named because there were lots of stags that had been seen leaping in the area when people started. No. Nope. Like, you know, finding there's that that's a super cool story and I really appreciate you sharing. Well, I tell you what, the uh and the descendants of that deer that got away uh have a voracious appetite for Cabernet Sauvignon. We are constantly oh, Yeah, as harvest is going on here right now, I'm constantly chasing these things out. Well that's why you know what you mentioned harvest. I don't want to take up much more of your time because I'm sure you are super busy with Harvest. So I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and talk to us more about Stag's Leap and what's going on in Napa. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. My pleasure, Adam. It's been awesome being with her. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.